I'm Stephanie March. I'm here this morning with Elizabeth Reese. Good morning, my friend. Our lovely Twin Cities Live maven of all things. Wow, that was really nice. I I should have them put that in some promos for me. I think so. I think I could help you with that. (laughs) I like it. As I text you like random cover story (laughs) ideas for your magazine throughout the week. Like randomly, I'll be like, I have to pull over and I'm like, maybe she should do this. This is a good idea. And I'm sure everyone says that to you. No, they, you know, I get some weird things, but no, I, you know, the thing is you understand you know packaging and you understand a story and you understand food so you know your texts are very valued okay good wow i appreciate that well i'm really really happy to be here i love chatting food we're gearing up for the minnesota state fair this is um like just about my favorite time of the year to eat which i don't know i say that every time of the year it's harvest though I mean, it is harvest, harvest, harvest. And it's coming in by the truckload. And speaking of harvest, can we start the show? Can I just hijack what you had planned? I think you can. And can we start the show with something that I just harvested for you (gasps) about 15 minutes ago? Get out, fresh from the dirt. Okay, I have a little baggie. Oh my God. And Sorry, you, can't, you, um, you can't see them, but I will post a picture of these on my yeah. Insta story because I took a picture. Um, I brought Stephanie my beautiful, tiny, little, sweet cucamelons. Cucamelons, you guys. Which I'm growing for the first time this year. I've never grown a cucamelon. I didn't even really know what to do with it, but I um, one of my favorite things about gardening is I like to try, yeah, eat them, bite right into them. They're not washed. I just picked them. (laughs) But my hands were clean. Oh my god, that's so cool. So they're little tiny cucumbers, but they look like watermelons. It's unbelievable. They're like, they're like if you have a child who has like a play kitchen or a play dollhouse, and they included little watermelons as food this is exactly what they would be and so they're sort of like a citrusy cucumber love them a lot of mixologists use them in cocktails um they vine and they just grow beautifully on a trellis which is what i did this year and then now i thought they were going to get a little bit bigger stuff so i wasn't really picking them but then that's what they're supposed to look like and last week, was it last week? I think we had Lori on, Lori Crawl on. Yes, and, and you guys were talking about yeah, them. Yeah, she found them and she was like, what are these things? I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, they're cucumelons. <laughs> we couldn't remember the Sanditas, you know, which is the other way that they're kind of referred or they're to. They're also called Melothria scabra. Right, the scabra. That's a lot of people call them scabra. Okay, and so, some people call them the Mexican sour gherkin. Yeah, and so she's pickling them as we speak. Oh my goodness. She has a whole jar that she's pickling right now. Fantastic. She sent a little, she had a little story out there and I was like, okay, there they are because and they are so not only they're cute but they're delicious they're really really cute and fun and frankly i haven't really been using that much of them i have so much going in the garden and then this morning i was coming to see you of course and so i'm like i've got to get out there i picked a bunch of them for you and so listen i'm just gonna eat them do what you will with them i'm just gonna eat them i'm like i'm gonna save them though because i want to eat them like i kind of want to try them with like some of the lemon salt maybe sure and like a few different like things yeah but i think like take one and muddle it in with like some gin and some mint that's what i think too and then um and then see how that tastes because i think that is going to be really delicious but anyway i just love that concept every year i try to do a couple things that i've never done before and things that i think i probably won't be able to find at the farmer's market or you know at the grocery store or whatever because there are so many varieties of food. There's so much stuff out there, you guys. we've never gotten to eat Mm-mm. because it's just not grown commercially. Okay, so this actually dovetails into a story. For me this week, I had the, uh, my kids are in town. Joey and Ryan are here from New York. Hey, guys. Maybe they're listening. Hey, um, welcome they are, home. They're both up early. Um, 
And we cooked dinner at th- on Thursday, a big birthday feast because it was Ryan's birthday. And so Fun. we did happy birthday, you know, and it's, I have August birthdays, you know, all throughout the family. So we did a feast. So I was at the farmer's market on Thursday afternoon. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, kind of walking through the stalls and looking at the stuff. And this is, I didn't do the downtown one. I mean, I didn't do the Nicolette Avenue one. I was still at the sheds, yep. you know, on Lindale. Yep. And I walked up to this thing and this, <laughs> I looked at this. This little like pack of it looked like long thin they looked like long green tongue depressors basically except oh. for they were pea pods they were very thin they looked like seed pods so but not they were fava flat. beans no they were all flat intriguing and it looked like they and they had just piled them on top of each other so there was this like flat stack of green pods that had a rubber band around them and they were a buck a piece and I looked at them and I was like I have no idea what that is I walked away I kind of came back and I was like God I wonder. You know, and there was this man and this woman looking, and she was clearly buying like six of them. So you were saying, so, what are you going to do with these? Well, the best part is the woman, the Hmong woman who was the grower, she goes, what are these? <laughs> she goes, what are you going to do with these? Funny. And the guy in Spanish, we had like this trilingual thing going on where we were all trying to speak English and figure out. So you were speaking Spang Monglish. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. And she was like, and it was funny because she was like, I don't know how to cook this. She's like, we grow them. She's like, my daughter told me we have to grow these, so we grow them. And then she goes, but these are... And basically, he ca- he said they're called wajes. Wajes, which is G-U-A-J-E-S. Okay. Wajes. And so, and so I said, well, how do you cook it? And he's like, you... And very, he very took a little time to kind of describe that he takes it, the seeds out, and then he sautés... He puts them with pork. He cooks them with pork. And pork and onions and tomatillos and all this kind of stuff. And so I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So then I went home and I tried to figure out how to spell wahes. First of all, that was fun. Yeah, so that's, I, I figured it out. Obviously. That's entertaining. Yeah, you did it right because I just Googled it. Yeah, but I put it on I put it on my Insta story in terms of like, hey, what's this? And Ann Kim from Pizzeria Lola and all the rest and Young, Young Joni. Joni. And yeah. you know, she's opening this new taco spot. Yes. She said that she's been eating these in Oaxaca. And that she had this whole thing where she found these things. And she was like, where did you find these? Oh, my God. And Oaxaca is like a magical place in Mexico. I know. Oh, fabulous. So she's been eating them now. And so she was so surprised to find them here because I think they grow on a tree or something. Yeah, they do grow on yeah. a tree. And so this woman has a tree apparently planted here that is or some I don't know. Or maybe she's bringing them in. I'm not sure from Mexico, but I doubt it. No, no. It was a Hmong woman. So yeah, no. she has to be growing them here. Yeah. Okay, so that's really incredible. I know. So anyway, I have these things that I've been and you basically peel a you peeled the little seeds out of these little thin pods mm-hmm. and they taste just grassy and like raw. You eat, you can either roast them like pumpkin seeds with a little bit of salt and stuff, or you Fabulous. saute them or you just, we were eating them raw. The I other see, night. um, even just like Googling this, I see videos of people making salsa with them. And that's just what like he said. He goes, with the salsa. he said, he goes, he said, go YouTube and, and look for salsa de huaje. Yeah. And so that is really I fascinating. Know. It's really exciting to see like what you can grow. I was just at, um, eggplant urban farm supply the other day, picking up some, um, grit for my chickens, you know, just my yeah, use. Grit. And I, um, and then I was in the back because I always like to look at the trees that they have there, especially as they get towards the end of the season because oh, yeah. they clearance them out. They clearance them out. And, um, and they were selling some peach trees and the peach trees had peaches on them. And so I was talking, um, to the girl who was working and I was like, what is happening here with this peach tree? Because, you know, I'm obsessed with fruit trees and I just feel like I want, 
Yeah. I don't really want a tree if it doesn't grow right. any food. At this point, you're kind of like, what's like, your purpose? What good are you to what's, me? What's your purpose? If you're not growing food. Yeah. Um, so I was asking about this peach tree and I said, I just don't, how could these grow here? And she said, these are actually zone five through eight hardy. And when you live, particularly if you live in the city, if you live in an urban area with the heat bloom, um, with the heat bloom of the city, you can get um, zone five will be fine. And some of these peach trees that were just in the pots had three or four peaches on them. And so now I've been thinking about this peach tree in the night and in the morning and I think my husband's listening and so Jay I'm going to need you in your yard work today yes to like scope out a spot for us to put a peach tree yeah we have a plum tree we have a cherry tree we have an apple tree that is um, located over our deck which is constantly at risk of causing a concussion to someone who's underneath it but you know that's neither here nor there that's just that's just kind of the price you pay for living off the land when you have 0.13 of an acre I mean I mean honestly yeah I think a peach tree would be completely how magical how fun right yeah and we are technically zone four you know but you can but um but zone five apparently does okay if you're in the city so I thought that was kind of interesting that's interesting That is interesting. Yeah, I could never plan it way out there where it gets. I mean, I literally can tell the difference in the temp change when you go from city to my house. It's I know real, but my parents live in Burnsville. And my mom always says that she would never live any further north because she's from Texas. And she said, <laughs> Burnsville's as far as she'll go. She said that it's just colder the further north you go. So maybe they that would includes, be able to do it there. That includes like Edina. Like Bloomington. Yeah, like Edina. Dear north. God. Edina is the just frozen wasteland the tundra of Edina. Burnsville is so much more tropical. <laughs> oh my god, I love that so much. That's really fun, though. It is fun to just try different things and to see the different things um, well, that and, people are growing. And even some of the things I was just, you know, this if for the big feast on Thursday night. I made, you know, I grilled up green beans, which are just, <clears throat> you know, so easy to do. If, and I just use them. I used my cookie rack, you know, oh, my cookie yeah. cooling rack, and I put it the other way on my grill so that it makes a grid. Like if the grill grates are like this, I okay, put my that's rack smart. like this. You could just get one of those veggie basket things. You, you would think someone would think enough to buy one. Next time she's out. I have that. Those things are bomb. I know. Well, that's what I, so that's kind of like, if I remember to do that, I will do it. Yeah. Since I don't. um, Christmas is a common. It is a common. But I did, uh, instead of just doing the normal butter on there, I did miso butter. Oh, I love this idea. I'm so glad you're talking about this because I have been having multiple discussions with people about miso. Really? (laughs) Yes. And because I've been thinking, um, mainly because I just love that, like, I love that classic dish from Nobu, which is the miso cod. Right. And, um, and so I want to be able to incorporate that miso, like miso butters more into fish that I'm cooking. This is so good. What kind of miso did you use? I bought white miso paste just right out of the grocery store. Did you buy it refrigerated? Yep. Okay. It was in the refrigerator section. I didn't buy the other one. There's, I know there's one sometimes in the, in the, in the aisles that you can buy vacuum packed, but I bought the refrigerated one and there's red and there's white and I bought the white, the little tub and it was like eight bucks. And white I think is a little bit more subtle than red. I do too. Yeah. I think it's, and because I was mixing it, you know, it was sort of like, I wanted to make sure that it, also I didn't know how everybody would react to it. You know what I mean? It's one of those like, we'll see. Oh yeah. So I just basically took it. I took like a fourth stick of butter or so like a half stick of butter, a fourth cup. Great. And I softened it a little bit and then I worked it into a bowl and then I threw like two big tablespoons of the miso paste in there. Compound butter, like the most underutilized ingredient at home. Boom. And then I threw a little salt and pepper and sesame seeds in there. Oh, fabulous. And that's it. And then what I did was I kept it kind of soft. So it wasn't like melted, but it was sort of almost like whipped at that point. Yep. 
and I spread the butter on the on a platter. And so the minute that the beans came off of the grill, I just stuck them on top of the butter on the platter. Okay, that's brilliant. So that when people scooped the beans, they got some of the butter with it. They got the butter on it. it. And then it wasn't just like piling over the top. And then lime. So you got some acid too. Yeah. Okay, this is really, really great because I have been thinking a lot about miso. Oh, I did I did ginger too, by the way. I grated fresh ginger into the butter and the miso. Oh, fabulous. I forgot that part. But even that just like like put on some salmon. Yeah. Put on like, you know, a piece of cod or whatever Mm -hmm. you have. I mean, sounds or even like on shrimp, anything like that. I know that sounds so good. It's real good. Oh, I'm glad you said that. We're going to do a lot more talking about that kind of good stuff. You guys, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk some restaurant news. We're going to give you more garden updates. We have an interesting Spanish libation chat coming up in the second half of the uh, day. So definitely stay tuned. This is the Weekly Dish and we are brought to you by Red Cow and Red Rabbit. Hey everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Thanks for joining us on this, here's my weather report, hazy Saturday. Hazy, and you know what? It's hazy because of the Canadian wildfires. And everyone's been talking about it. I've had so many people say, like Bradley Trainer was just saying to me, my allergies are bothering me. And I was like, wildfires. And one wildfires. of our producers said, Lisa said, I've had a headache for two days. And I said, it's the wildfires. And then they all go, really? And, and it's then, true. It's yeah. the Canadian and Californian wildfires Did you and all see the, the smoke blows Yeah, in. and it's coming, like the wind is going north and then it's coming all the way down. So it's picking up a lot of stuff. Uh, the positive is, is that the sunsets and the sunrises are just like absolutely <sighs> It's going to feel a little dusky all day. Yeah. But that's okay. I was on the lake yesterday and it was a brilliantly sunny day. And I thought I, you know, and then as it started to get hazy in the afternoon, I was kind of like, I wouldn't have minded having a little bit of haze yeah. during the day because it gets... Gets that sunshine, gets a lot. Steamy. Uh, I know. Well, happy August. And yes. um, it's really fun to be hanging out, chatting food with you. I just love that you're here. Thank you so much. Thanks. And this is Elizabeth Reese, obviously. Filling Stephanie in. March. Summer girl. Hanging out. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some restaurant news. I know. I've been really um, wanting to talk to you about some developments we this week. We got some things. First, I want to make note. I want to say uh, Joel Robichon, who was 73 years old, uh, unfortunately passed away. Aww. And he is a titan in the fine dining world. He is literally the most Michelin-starred chef of all times. Whoa. And so a lot of people, I think, it's so funny because, I I mean, it's not funny, but I was thinking about when Jonathan Gold died and when Anthony Bourdain died, mm-hmm. there was this sort of, we could kind of own a piece to that. Like, there's something very communal about those two people because I think they shared their life in words as well. Yeah, absolutely. But then Joel Robuchon, or Joel Robuchon is is. You guys, he has changed the way dining happens, and we don't really access that the same way, but he he basically, the way that he kind of re-engineered fine dining in France changed how we all eat today, even though the trickle down. You remember in Devil Wears Prada, where she talked about why that girl Andy was wearing blue and how it was chosen by someone on a runway like three years ago? Yes. That's what Joel Robichon was about. He... I tell you what, if you ever eat mashed potatoes in a fine diet, like a fine restaurant and it's a beautiful puree. I love that. You know, like when you get like a piece of fish and then there's this like cloud, like beautiful, super silky, Oh, super silky. That's because of him. And that's because he sort of took this. He It's called palm puree. And it's basically where you take one stick of butter to one potato. Oh, mama. <laughs> and he sort of did that, but he was also the guy who basically took French cuisine and finally, for the first time, like in 2003, he opened a place called L'Atelier mm-hmm. and he basically said, we probably don't have to have a tasting menu. 
And that was the first, like, that was like breaking a wall, you know, in Fran- French dining. Incredible. And so he just said, he kind of said, it's more fun to sit at the bar. He opened up the kitchens. That's why we have open kitchens. I love open kitchens. All of this stuff is all because of what he started. So he, you know, unfortunately passed away. But here, the, more interesting than that is the question of a lot of people were wondering when a chef dies, do they lose their stars? What happens? So apparently, there has been there have been cases where when a chef dies, their restaurant loses a star because if you think about it, they're they're so intrinsically tied to the restaurant that they're like if if you know if like someone who's cooking every day in in a kitchen is no longer there, then that does part, that restaurant right deserve to have that same you know sort of uh, you know marking, which is actually kind of lovely because it shows such um, such an importance placed on the talents of people, yeah. not just looking at it as like you know a factory assembly line, right? Well, and then in 1990, uh, you know, a French chef um, Alain Chapelle dropped out of a heart attack at age of 52. Michelin stripped his restaurant of their third star. The guide's editorial director at the time explained that it was done out of respect for him saying basically to main the thirds to maintain that third star would have suggested that he had had no effect on the restaurant. Oh. So there there's this weird kind of thing, you know, that, it, that he had counted for nothing towards the excellence if, if it could stay there while he was gone. Boy, I hope you get at least like a grace period. Or I know, something. I know. And then, so then, but then there was a French chef, uh, Le, Le, I'm going to, I'll say all these wrongs, but Le Soi, Le Soi, uh, by contrast, this French chef who actually killed himself, he said his he kept his third star following his death, and they basically were saying that they didn't want uh, they didn't because a lot of the people thought that it was because of the pressure of the Michelin that he you know took his own life, oh and so then they goodness. didn't want to create this whole thing. But uh, one of the guide's editorial directors insisted that the case was uh, that the stars are not attached to the man or the chef. He said they are attached to the team of the restaurant, and if they continue to do the same job, there is no point to take the stars away. Okay, yeah. So I think I think they should get a grace period and then a reval. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah. So I think that's. I don't think they should take it away. I think they should leave it and then reevaluate. Reevaluate. So that's what's going to happen. That's really interesting. Okay. Well, anyone who um, is responsible for improving the butter to potato ratio deserves a fine seat at the right hand of the Lord. So there you go. It's seriously and and to sort of make that. A dish that is is okay to eat, like it didn't, you know, at, at like a fine dinner, they brought mashed potatoes. Yeah. Basically, I always want mashed potatoes. I, I don't. I used to have my kids kind of joked about it, but like there are times where I'd be like, guess what? Guess what's for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> we had mashed potato dinner. Cheese, butter, and salt, and mashed potatoes. That's like um, when you do breakfast for dinner. Yeah. It's like a little bit, just the right amount of giving up. Yeah. Which I think is just positive. <laughs> it's so true. Just, just the right amount of giving up. Giving up. I love it. Oh my God. So great. Well, so we've had some new, there's been a lot of restaurant news this week. I know there really has town. been. I know. It's kind of crazy. I think the first thing we should say is that the LaBelle V space is coming back. Here we go. Look I know. at that. Intriguing. And not just coming back, but coming back through one of its longtime veterans, which is Mike DeCamp. That's right. So Mike DeCamp, or YC Young Chef as we know him, mm-hmm. has was in the LaBelle V kitchens for nine years, you know, starting out there as like a little young whippersnapper, mm-hmm. garmanger, <laughs> and then um, moving up until that he was helming the kitchen for the last few years of its life. And then he uh, moved on to Manello and the Jester Group. And then the Bellevue closed. And then 
Now, it seems that the Jester Group is moving back to take the space up again. I have a special place in my heart for the Jester Group because I went to high school with Brent Frederick, oh, who that's is right. one of the guys behind the Jester Group. And so um, I like to see the things yep. that they are doing. They are smart. You know what I mean? They have had their wins and failures just like everybody else in town. But I love that. That's the one thing that I like about them is that it's just, and this is, you know, we've talked about this before, this attachment to like every single project has to succeed or last forever. Right. It's just not the way of the world. And it's not not the way of restaurants and the more that we can kind of be open to the idea that like hey let's try this and it might not work and yeah you know and then try something else i think the more that we can just start to appreciate the new things and not get so him hall when things close right like nothing lasts forever nothing does no nothing does and i mean it's great that we do have heritage restaurants that have found a place to kind of run the rut you know run the road but it's also those are few and far between, and I don't. We couldn't. We couldn't have a, the, all of those, right? Because then we would have maybe six restaurants. So, what's the new concept going to be for the La Belle V space? So they're going to call it. I think right now the working name is PS or Postscript, which is kind of cute. That's a little cute. nod to La Belle V. Yeah. Um, and they're going to do a modern steakhouse. So a little bit along the line of Birch Steak, which is of course like down the block. I know, and it's so good. I love Birch but Steak. But it's that interesting thing of where it's not like. It's not like you're going to get like a big giant steak and then a big plate of asparagus and a big plate of mashed potatoes and then (laughs) hash browns. You know, it's more of the idea that you'll get there's options for many kinds of different steaks. There's a lot more seafood options, you know, and sort of more refined plates that can go along with celebrating that beautiful protein. And then they're going to make so the lounge is coming back and they're going to make it, you know, sort of very much like the old lounge. I think Mm -hmm. Uh, they're keeping the booths that were, you know, built into the back. Uh, they're going to build another bar into the dining room area. Great idea. I know. More bars, the merrier. Right. And it's like just having that be like an area where there's a bar so that there are, when there are private parties and of course there will be plenty of private parties in the back, Yeah, but they're going to open it up a little bit to kind of make it. Cause you know, a lot of people I knew never even knew about the dining room area for sure because they didn't eat the big tasting menu things or they didn't, you know, they were just basically going to the bar. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think combining a bar into a dining room area, though, is the way of the future. I mean, people want different. It's it's like in your own home. You want a kitchen island to eat at an eat in kitchen and a dining room like, yeah, you want multiple areas. It's the same thing at restaurants where you want it to feel like it has a flow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be exciting. And they actually said that they are probably going to be uh, ready by November. Well, yeah, I mean, the restaurant infrastructure is there. And we have one more one more thing that unfortunately closed. Meanwhile, one is going to open and another is going to close. We have Heirloom. Heirloom closed on Marshall. Yeah, right in my neighborhood. I once left my car running while I was eating dinner there for four hours <laughs> and it wasn't stolen outside. That was really incredible. Wow. And um, that was a that's a sad one. It's a really lovely space and a beautiful space. And I um, I always felt like I wanted it to be slightly different when I was in there. Yeah. And so I'm hopeful that maybe something else will be able to take hold of that space and yeah. make it something great. I know. I know. And the parking situation is tough, man. It is tough. That's a tough one. That road is, you, that corner it, is so busy. It is busy. But if you leave your car running on Marshall, apparently you have okay. a 90% chance that it won't get stolen. Chance. I love that. We're going to talk a little bit more restaurant stuff when we uh, come back on the second hour. But we're going to talk a little garden update when we return. We'll be right back. This is the Weekly Dish. Hey everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Uh, this Saturday is a day, Saturdays are a day that I get down into my garden after 
the show and I sort of muck around. There's a lot happening in there. And I got to tell you, I just, I was in there yesterday walking around with uh, Joey and Ryan and I was just like, first of all, my weeding has been very lackluster. I know, but who cares? At this this point, point, you just let it go. Can I get that validation from you? Absolutely. 100%. I always like, I completely give up. I'm not weeding at this point. It's, I mean, if there are some in there, I'll, and I happen to be around, I'll pick them out. But it's like your, your plants are so set i mean they are growing they're taking over everything i mean you weed at the beginning so that your weeds don't take over your plants and take everything at this point it's like your plants are the dominant force right that's what i feel like i'm and of course mine around mine i have to weed just so i can walk through a little bit i do say that when i walk into the garden i take one step and like six things scurry and i'm like (laughs) i kind of think that's fun though (laughs) that's for me i'm kind of like I don't want to ruin the habitat. You know what I mean? It's kind of good. I got snakes. I got frogs. I got grasshoppers. All of it. I'm so. not interested in the snakes. Everything else can um, remain. Can remain. Yeah, I, know. I did see a half-eaten heirloom tomato in my garden yesterday, and I was right. like, what ate that? Like, I, so that's what I was wondering, too. I what saw, ate that? Right. I kind of was trying to decide who's eating tomatoes. I know. Is it squirrels? It, it's got to be something, but it was like sitting there and gnawing on it because there were like distinct portions that were chewed through yeah it was really entertaining which you know and speaking of tomatoes the tomatoes are just gangbusters i've got these giant beautiful yellow heirloom tomatoes that i could like cry i love them so much i mean they are just absolutely phenomenal oh my gosh and my tomatoes all got so big that they toppled their um tomato cages and so i have to i'm like this is it i gotta buy like industrial strength tomato cages and i think some of that is that i shifted locations okay and this is what gardeners always say to do which i don't do all the time (laughs) which is grow things in different places every year don't always grow your tomatoes in the same spot and it will help prevent disease and it can also help them grow better and then you've got different nutrients and things like that so i shifted my tomatoes just over to the other side of a raised bed and they are like massive this year wow yeah it's amazing wow so anyway. my tomatoes are not i i will say i have the yellow tomatoes the little yellow sunburst ones yep they are like on acid there are so many of those that it's like they've taken over a couple of the i mean like they vined everywhere i know it got crazy <laughs> so those are i mean and i think i've only planted one of those and those went nuts look at that i know but then i have one I have some early girls that are obviously gone already, mm-hmm. but then I have a couple of ones that are not as much as I thought they would. I thought they would go a little more nutty and they just are sort of like, they're just sort of big right now and they're just, but there's not a lot of them. I like to do a lot of the, um, I've had really good luck with the zebra striped tomatoes and, and they I, come yeah. in different colors. So you could get like a yellow one, you can get a red one. Um, I think they even have like purple ones they are really cool, but they're different. Um, the they're called zebra stripes because they have stripes on them. Yep. And they're very, they're like a perfect size where they're almost like um, a little bigger than a golf ball yep. and perfectly round. And I've had really good luck with not having any bottom rot on those. Oh, and great. Um, they tend to last on the vine a little bit longer. Like yeah. I don't have to have that panic of like you have God, to pick you it this get minute. Off and then you got to eat them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they just, they're a nice size also like. If you're just making a sandwich for yourself yeah. and you just want to like cut up a few slices versus cutting into a massive heirloom tomato yeah. and then being like, okay, now I'm no. left with the rest of this. Uh, they're perfect to just slice. So if you, if you're thinking about like, I always feel like this is a good time to just jot down some notes about what you want to grow next year and what's yeah. going well. Mm-hmm. And then, um, cause you won't remember. Cause next you won't year remember. You write it down. You won't remember. The zebra tomatoes are fun for me. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I know. And a good BLT right now oh, is like, bomb. <gasps> 
do it. Just wanting BLTs. Get yourself some brioche. Every single day. Bakersfield brioche. That's your number one bread? It's my number one bread. It's so good. It doesn't scratch the hizel out of the roof of your mouth when you toast it. Well, I do the other side down. Like sometimes I do, like I just toast one side and then I put the soft side up and the crunchy side inside the tomato. This is exactly what I need to start doing. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. You just do. So I do. I do. I broil them. So I put the mayonnaise on top. Yep. And then I broil them on a sheet pan so that one side stays soft and the other is crunchy. This is so smart. And then I do the two... Then I do the two crunchy sides yeah. together. Because so my husband bite. is like such a tough guy, except yeah. for when it comes to the roof of his mouth and bread. He's like, ah, oh, this is too this scratchy. Too scratchy. I know. I know. Isn't that funny? That's not exactly how he talks. Um, sorry, Jay. Let's talk. Yeah, sorry, Jay. Just remember <laughs> to find that peach tree spot. Um, let's talk about uh, zucchini because those everyone I know has been giving has been saying zucchinis are going nuts. I know too. they're going crazy, and I have a couple of ideas for you okay. to use up your zucchini. So um, I once had a blog. It's called Home to Homestead. <laughs> I haven't One updated time. it in years, and you know why people are full time bloggers? It's because blogging is a full time job. Yep, tis a challenge when you have a full time job. To then blog full time. It is. It so is anyway, a I have a blog thing. that it, it maintains, and there are some really good recipes on there, in my humble opinion. And um, but I don't update it regularly. Right. Um, but there's a recipe for these um zucchini corn fritters. They're essentially like a cross between a fritter and a pancake. Yep. Um, because I don't really deep fry them, but they're not so they're packed with veg, so they're not like so pancakey. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, they're not too like. So flowery. it's kind of a cross. Um, but I made them again this week because I just like love this recipe and I'd picked up, you know, two dozen ears of sweet corn because I picked some up and then my husband saw a man with a truck and then you can't resist the man with the truck. Dude, and right? So it happens. We got um, tons of sweet corn. But essentially what you do is you just grate zucchini and then um, cook it in a little bit of olive oil with um, some onion and some garlic. Super easy. Cut sweet corn off the cob. I don't even cook the sweet corn. No. And then I make a really simple little pancake batter with just, you know, flour, baking powder. and You um, do use baking powder. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. And salt and then some milk. And then I add in all of the cooked vegetables and then a ton of fresh herbs. Oh, good. And I just like, you know, fold it in and then cook them up on a griddle. So you take like a spoon. You don't hand patty them. They're Mm -mm. not. It's basically like a spoon. It's like a pancake. It's essentially like a pancake. Yeah. Yeah. I probably should just call them more pancakes, but fritter sounds more fun. Well, fritter to me is like a fried, yeah, it's like more full, fried, yeah, like a like a rounder sh- or you know, like a fried thing that is deep fried. But this is more of like you're going surface and flipping. Yep, but okay. I'm doing, but I do like a good amount of oil. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. A good because I want them to be like crispy around the edges, yes. and I want them to have like that crispy flavor and right. not so like dry as a pancake that you would put syrup on, right? Right, right. Um, but then and then I serve them up, um, essentially latka style because I serve them with sour cream, and they're so. Good. And my kids love them. And I like, I brought some to work and I've been just heating them up in the microwave yeah. and just eating them for lunch and then giving bites to my coworkers. And they're like, what is happening what here? Is, this is so is, good. Oh my God. But I use lots of, I use basil, parsley, chives, yeah. dill. I you mean, whatever herb you have, you just load it up and then, um, and my kids wolf it down. So anyway, we posted a link to the recipe if you want to make those. Oh, good. Yeah, we're going to do that. It's um, really easy. And then um, Amy Thielen was on Twin Cities Live. I mean, you know, Amy Thielen, we love her. Yes. She's the creator of one of the greatest cookbooks of all time, in my opinion. Um, the Is it the new Midwest table? The Midwestern. Yeah. The new Midwestern table. Yeah. It's she's fabulous. Oh, she's just amazing. She, um, she lives in Park Rapids. She lives in Park Rapids. But she's she has, a trained New York chef. Yeah. And she has her um, memoir. Give a girl a knife. Ugh. is fabulous, too. Anyway, she was on Twin Cities Live recently and ha- I hadn't seen her in a while. And she's just such a joy, too. She's like a mild mannered person. 
with a lot of spark. Yeah. Which I find to be really refreshing. Right. She made this zucchini carpaccio. And um, sometimes with things like that, you think... I don't know how this is going to be. Carpaccio is just thinly sliced something. Yeah. We're yeah. most familiar with it with beef. She did it with zucchini. She, um, You could also do yellow squash. She did some lemon uh, juice, basil, olive oil, pistachios, and then this um, cheese sartori bellavitano yeah. cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can buy that. That's just a Wisconsin cheese. You can get it anywhere. Yeah. And... It was so good. It was just so good. It was like just such an example. Did she mandolin it? Like she just did a mandolin. So super thin um, zucchini. And then you just lay it out and you salt the zucchini. And then you just like throw the things on top of it. And the plate looked so gorgeous. And I kind of thought when I was going to take a bite. Okay, this will probably be good. Yeah. And then I took a bite and I could not believe how good it was. And this is raw zucchini, you guys. This is just raw zucchini. zucchini And just like, and did she do the coin size or did she go long? She did the coin size. Okay. And Steph, it's like a a two second thing. It's like a pedal almost. It looks like a giant plate of pedals. It takes no more than five minutes and 30 seconds to make. I I mean, if even that. And that's if you're slow on scattering the ingredients on top of the plate. It's just was so lovely. And I was like wolfing it down and I was searching for it after the show (laughs) to find the container that was left of it so that I could eat more of it because it. it was just really good. But it was just a really nice example of. Super simple in season things. Let's put that up. That on tastes the- delicious. Yeah, I put I put a link on the grid there so we can post that up too. Okay, so that anyway, that's so those are my zucchini suggestions right now. I love that. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, you guys. But when we come back, it is the Ask Stephanie portion of the show. So give us a call if you have needs for zucchini questions or any other recipes. Six five one six four one one zero seven one or anything else, and we'll chat up some good stuff. We'll be right back. This is the weekly dish. Hey everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Oops, I jumped on Lizzo. I didn't mean to jump on Lizzo. Oh, we love Lizzo. <laughs> I love that song. Lizzo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Ask Stephanie portion of the show, you guys. 651-641-1071 if you want to give us a call and ask us some questions. I did see someone had called in earlier and asked about Rudolph's Barbecue was closing, and it is closed. I think, I mean, like, unless it's reopened. <laughs> someone didn't tell me, but it, um, you know, it was the Theros... Uh, family and they after you know some god like 40 years they finally closed wow. it so it's you know i'm sad mostly because of the fact i i, I haven't eaten there in a long time but yeah. i and i don't think the quality was as it used to be mm-hmm. and i think we have much more better barbecue in town but i do think it was a heritage spot and one of the only places where barbecue felt like you know, it wasn't like kitschy and crazy and yeah. things like that. It was yeah. in, in, and in that area, it was so great. And probably, I mean, kind of an original. I mean, barbecue is really hot right now, but right. it hasn't always been. No, no, I know. So I know exactly. Uh, we do have a caller on the line. We have Janie on the line. What's up, Janie? Hi, I have a question about herbs. Okay. Yes. My herb plant, my basil plant. Okay. So maybe for Elizabeth, but you can chime in too, Stephanie, if you want to. All right, ma'am. <laughs> can I? Can I cut back that basil way down to stimulate new growth? Because now I'm getting kind of woody, tougher leaves than I did in the beginning. I mean, that's going to kind of happen over time. And then um, the, the main thing to do, uh, you know, if if they're not looking good to eat, it's definitely worth a try. But the main thing to do is to pull off those little flowers. flowers. Yeah. So when it starts to get like those really little skinny and then the flowery the parts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been doing that. But it doesn't seem to help much, but... It won't hurt the plant, though, to cut it back like that. Well, 
What? Well, I mean, at this point, late season, you're going to probably. Yeah, you might, but I. But it's worth a try because at this point, if it's like you're not, if you're not really getting good leaves, do you harvest anyway? from the bottom up or from the top down, Elizabeth? Um, I harvest all over the place. So okay, I randomly like to, pick, pick. Yeah, pick. I like to pick, 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 so that I get like parts from everything. Like That's I try to do yeah. that when I harvest kale, when I harvest anything, I try to like pull some from different plants too. I don't so know if I I'm should harvest you that much. from the top. I should harvest from all over. Yeah, yeah, I would harvest from all over. Yeah. Okay. And then just pull those flowers. Well, I've got quite a few plants. I'll try out a couple and see what happens. Yeah, okay. totally. Report back. Report back. Okay. Okay. Best of luck Thanks, with the basil. Jane. You know, I had one basil plant in my pot that then um, just kind of wilted and didn't do great, even though I've got parsley and rosemary in the same pot. I've potted herbs on my deck and then I've got my big garden in the back. Yeah. And that basil plant kind of fell apart. And then luckily I planted a backup one in the back of the garden when it was on sale. And I was like, I'm just going to put another one in there. And then that one's doing great. I did too. This is weird. I did exactly the same thing where I have pots by the driveway. Yeah. Those got almost too hot. And I think they I, they smoked out before I got full stuff. Yeah. And I had randomly thrown a couple in the garden and they are like less. I use them on Caprese. And I was like, wow. Just giant. Just giant. Hey, we have Lindsay on the line as well. Hey, Lindsay, what's going on today? You there, Lindsay? Yes, good morning. Good, good morning. morning. What can we do for you? I need tomato help. <laughs> okay. What do you got? Um, our garden tomatoes are going gangbusters this year, too, and I've always been afraid of canning. I've never tried it. Do you have any t- tips or tricks for newbies? Oh, my gosh. You can do it, and tomatoes are a great thing to start with because they're actually really pretty easy. Um, you know, I took a tomato canning class at Eggplant Urban Farm Supply in St. Paul. And I know there are other canning classes too. Mainly I did that because I was afraid of botulism (laughs) and I didn't have a grandmother who taught me how to can. So I wanted to like know what it's like and how to do it. Um, They're a really good resource, but tomatoes are really, really easy to can because all you have to do is blanch them, peel the skins off throw them in a pot and then cook them a little bit and then, you know, water bath yep. can. Yep. But another option, if you don't want to do the canning that I do all the time is I slow roast them. So um, a lot of times I don't end up canning tomatoes simply because they're cheap to buy at the grocery store. Like organic canned tomatoes are pretty cheap. And good. And so what I'll do is just in a low oven. So like 250, 300 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, I will toss tomatoes with um, olive oil and then I'll do just like sprigs of herbs like thyme, rosemary, whatever. And then I, and garlic. Mm -hmm. And then I slow roast them for like, I don't know, an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And then I like pull them off the pan, put them in jars and I freeze them in jars. Yes. And you just have to leave a lot of headspace so that when it expands, when it freezes, you don't break the jar. And then I bust those out and I use them in soups. I use them as pasta sauces. I use them to like add to canned plain tomatoes for flavor all winter long. Great. There you go, lady. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're You're welcome. welcome. Good luck, Lindsay. I was just thinking I've got to do that because... I, I, I kind of find like when I just can regular tomatoes. Yeah. Like I can buy. I know. I have a hard time with that too. Good canned tomatoes. Um, you know, pretty cheap at the grocery store. Yeah. But like the roasted tomatoes the with roasted, herbs and right, garlic, the ones that are like kind of fancy that yeah. you could use essentially as like a top and like on to level up. Yeah. yeah. Totally. That's kind of fun. Okay. I want to talk quickly about something that had happened that came across this week um, or last week about uh, a local writer. Yeah. Uh, Joe. Uh, Donna Holmgren. Holmgren. And she was a woman who has an Instagram account that's Fox Meets Bear 
or bear meets fox or something like that. Fox meets bear. Yeah, I'm like obviously have all the details of this. <laughs> um, but what had happened was is she wrote a cookbook. She lives a very foraging earthy live in the woods kind of life her i feel like she had her child like in the woods on a blanket yeah with a midwife that kind of thing she has three kids and her um husband is a chalk artist and they're um i mean like her blog is lovely and beautiful and her instagram feed is really sweet in terms of like slowing down enjoying parenting kind of just like taking in the world around you. It's 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 a refreshing look at life, I think. Yeah, and it's sort of the idea, and it is a little, I mean, it's a little off, it's off the grid, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so it's that's the idea, is it's not, it's just sort of, a, I think people look at it for an aspirational thing of like, maybe I can't live like this, but I can appreciate someone who's living like this. Yeah, it's sort of like an off the grid hipster life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, she wrote a cookbook, and there was... Um, it's called Tales from a Forager's Kitchen. Yes. And it just got into a little hot water this last well, week. Well, it just got pulled. It got, it it did got get pulled, pulled from sales. Yeah, Rodale, which is the publisher, decided to pull it. And they issued a statement saying uh, that the book will no longer be sold and that anyone who has the book, they would like them to contact Rodale to get a refund. It's a big deal. Here's the dark side of foraging. Yeah, because... The dark side of foraging is just that it's not... You, it, there's not a lot of, you know... Uh, what do I want to say? Basically, there are things that people eat you know from the plant from the wild that may affect people so differently and in your health wise there's things that are very bad well, for dude, you i mean poisonous. picking the wrong mushroom can kill you i mean Clearly, that's the but bottom we all know line that, picking right. the wrong and but eating them raw right so she recommended there were a couple of things that um that seasoned foragers took issue with when it came to the book and when i was like kind of knee deep in reading all these reviews and all this stuff um and i have the book i have you the do. book at my desk and it's a beautiful book. I read through the recipes and I remember thinking this is a little bit too excessive for me. But she recommended eating raw morel mushrooms and raw elderberries, which are known to be toxic. Yeah. And so for that reason, the publisher decided to pull the book. Very interesting in terms of not. I mean, I'm surprised that the publisher didn't know this ahead of time or that it wasn't checked ahead of time. I think it's just you got to be careful. You can't always trust everything on social media. No, there it is. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. we are going to be right back. You guys, this is the Weekly Dish. We're brought to you by Red.